<laughs> Thank you, preacher. What a joy. What an honor. What a privilege to be here tonight. I don't know what happens when you have two McMurtry preachers in one building. Does the roof stay up? Does it fall? I've, I've heard of all kinds of things, but uh, uh, I remember, what was it? Was that two years ago, two and a half years ago, you came to our church when I was still pastor in Lincoln and uh, was talking about starting the church here and then to get to be here tonight and uh, see the folks and the other churches and folks that are here, my friend, friend Brother McMurtry, we, we go way back, don't we? And uh, then Brother Fritz, man, I haven't seen you for a long time. So good to see you, Brother Castle. Been a long time and your churches. And uh, boy, what a great crowd on a Tuesday night. Good spirit here. And uh, just just a special honor to be here, excited about what God is doing here. I'll just do what I usually do. I'm, usually I, I travel uh, almost every weekend somewhere. Last weekend I was in, or this past weekend I was in Ohio, got back home last night. And uh, the weekend before that I was in Arkansas, be in Iowa this coming weekend, and South Carolina, and uh, the next weekend, then Georgia the next weekend, and then Mississippi, and um, it's a little unusual for me to get to just be in Illinois on a Tuesday night or a midweek service. So uh, Josh is finishing setting up the table we got here just a few minutes later. We plan to uh, ours is a ministry. Uh, I, I was pastor at Park Meadows Baptist in Lincoln for 36 and a half years, and then uh, realized my health wasn't going to handle pastoring, and it's like God sort of shoved me into the uh, ministry of evangelism. And uh, we we can see now, we're very much at peace with it, and God seems to be blessing and using it. But uh, our ministry is helping families solve problems. Our website is solvefamilyproblems.com or solvefamilyproblems.org. And the DVDs are me preaching. The graphics like you see come up on the screen. Come up on the screen as I speak. This is the message I'm giving tonight. Another message I give quite a bit as I travel is Anger the Destroyer. Uh, those are both a part of the Anger series. There are nine DVDs in the Anger series. And there's a marriage collection, a parenting collection, a conquering bad habits collection, a men's collection, a ladies collection, just lots of, over a hundred DVDs on the table, lots of churches and pastors use them for classes. And uh, there are 80 of my DVDs now are in every prison in the state of Illinois, every juvenile detention center. On the way up here today, I talked to a chaplain at a federal prison in Louisiana. They just started using the DVDs there. And uh, uh, you, so anyway, if you've got a use for them, then you'd be welcome to get them after the service. Get them right away. We'll pack up uh, pretty quickly. And most important DVD on the table is Picture Proverbs. How many here have seen Picture Proverbs? Anybody here seen Some of you have watched Picture Proverbs. It is really... I run into this all over the place now. The church I was just in, the pastor, had already, he and his family had already been watching it. Several families in the church watching it. If you watch the chapter, Picture Proverbs is every verse in the book of Proverbs with a verse on the left-hand side of the screen, a picture that communicates the meaning of the verse on the right-hand side of the screen, over a thousand pictures were used, no duplicates were used, and over 500 different Bible story pictures. And there are three key things happen if your family will watch Picture Proverbs every day. Watch the chapter that matches the day of the month. And your children will memorize the book of Proverbs without trying. How important is that anyway? Uh, the book of wisdom, this is, this is the book of wisdom. And the book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom in the book of wisdom. And um, we, we've got testimonies already about that. I won't take time to, to tell you. The second thing that will happen is your children learn over 500 different Bible stories. Bible stories that you're familiar with, such as Daniel in the lion's den, and then lots of stories you're not familiar with, even pastors 
Pastors tell me all the time, I, I didn't know what those stories were. The angel rebuking Israel at Bokim. Do you recognize that story? Micah's priest and idols being moved out of the house. Do you recognize that story? Do you recognize the story of Oded rebuking the captives? Or just lots of Bible stories that are there that people don't even know are there. They've read through them, but they've sort of missed it. And uh, what we recommend is that you watch the chapter that matches the day of the month. whole family sits down and watches it. Pause it once and say to the family, why is that picture with that verse? If you don't know it, the reference is there. Then you turn over to the Bible story, read the Bible story, and uh, your children, the third thing that will happen is your children will learn how to interpret Scripture. When they answer the question, why is that Bible picture with that verse in Proverbs? Your children are doing exactly the same thing the preacher does when he stands up and interprets the Scripture. They're learning to interpret Scripture and they don't even realize that they're doing it. And uh, tying Scripture together with Scripture. So, really recommend Picture Proverbs. We have we used to carry our CDs with us. We've got a few CDs, but not very many. Almost every message on the table, we turned, plus 50 more, we turned into MP3s and put them on this one DVD, and uh, we sell all of the stuff. When we take it into meetings like this, we sell all of it at a greatly reduced price, below wholesale price, uh, while we are here. I'll mention one more DVD. This is not mine, but if you get this, you'll be glad you did. I promise you. I started carrying this just a couple of years ago now. I was at a homeschool convention in Virginia, and my friend Diego Rodriguez did this live in front of several thousand people. The most fabulous graphics you have ever seen in your life. I took the video back home, showed it to my church on a Wednesday night, and in 36 years of pastoring, I never had such a response to any video. People wanted to borrow it. People wanted to buy it. And uh, they were, it was just... It's, it's, everybody who watches this, the main word that comes back is mind-boggling. It's entitled, How Big Is God? And he just starts out gradually and he builds and he shows how fabulous the universe God created really is. And uh, anyway, I went online tried to buy some more copies and I couldn't find it anywhere online. Most fabulous creation DVD I'd ever seen, ever heard of. And I couldn't find it anywhere. And so I called him up and I said, Diego, you can't find it online. He said, I know it. He said... He said, I do it at the conventions, and he said, I'll sell two or three or four hundred. And he said, I don't fool with it after that. And I said, man, it's the most fabulous creation DVDs that anybody's ever made. you got to be able to carry Somebody's got to be able to get it. He said, you want to carry it? And I said, well, sure. He said, you're now my exclusive distributor. So anyway, um, it, it really is. If you get that and you don't like it, I'll give you double your money back. I promise you. All right? It is really, really an incredible uh, thing. February of 2005, a man wrote me a note and included his testimony. He said, I grew up in a two-bedroom raised house in Mississippi. My mom, dad, three brothers, two sisters were at home. My earliest memory starts at about age five. My father was a hard worker at a shipyard in New Orleans. He worked the 3.30 to midnight shift, would leave home at about 1 p.m. while us children were at school, return about 2 a.m. the next morning. He would sleep till 11 a.m. the next day. Our home had wooden floors. My father had a rule in our home, don't wake him up or else. I remember being second to the oldest at home, always living in fear of waking my father up by walking too hard on the wooden floors or banging something. When we did wake him up, by the way, there's sound effects all the way through this, including gunshots, so just be prepared and don't worry, some crazy nut hopefully doesn't walk in here in the middle of it, alright? And when we did wake him up, which was only a few times, it would be terrible. He would become very, very angry, yelling, screaming, hitting with the back of his hand. We lived on pins and needles, afraid of setting my father off. That type of life seemed normal to us. We didn't know any better. All of our friends' dads were the same way. Now I'm 40, got married as a teenager, my wife and I both, and I started my family by ruling them with the same anger my father dealt with. My wife was raised with anger in their home, but not as bad, so it was easy for her to see something was wrong with how I handled myself. 
I mistreated my wife, my oldest son. He's 21 now. I lost a couple of good jobs and lost some good friends. The whole time not being able to see that I had a problem with anger. 1985, I got saved. 1990, my wife left me and 10 months later we divorced and I still couldn't see my anger as being a problem. I'd learned to pass the blame to others by saying, you make me mad or you know what buttons to push. Lots of pride. I would even say things like, who do you think you are talking to me like that? And I'll share more of that story later. Read the screen with me, would you please, everyone? Throughout the Bible, when a man gave himself over to something, that thing that became so much a part of that man's life would become an adjective that God would use to describe that man. That's, by the way, I've never said this before, but that's what a sodomite is. It's somebody who's given themselves over to this terrible behavior. Now, there are men who made wisdom a key pursuit of their life, and in the Bible they would be known as a wise man. The Bible also referred to a prudent man, a merciful man, a diligent man, a righteous man, a just man, is a man whose life would be characterized by a sense of justice. The Bible also referred to the foolish man, the forward man, the wicked man, and the deceitful man. And then the Bible in Proverbs 26.18 referred to the mad man. By the way, that word mad... Is never used in relation to God in your Bible. The words anger, angry, wrath, wrath, fury, furious, indignation, those words are all used, but the word mad is never used about God Himself. And in Proverbs 29-22, to the angry man who stirs up strife, and in the same verse is the furious man who abounds in transgression, and Proverbs also calls uh, it calls our attention to the wrathful man who stirs up strife. An angry man is a type of person who is knowingly or unknowingly addicted to anger. You can tell he's an angry person because he's always stirring the pot of strife. He may not know that across his forehead is written the term angry man, but God and others see it written there all the time. An angry man or woman is a person out of whom angry words, attitudes, or actions may erupt at any time. Whenever I think of an angry man, there's one verse that often comes to mind. Men or women with an anger problem should post this verse on the mirror where they see it every day. It is Proverbs 19.19. Read it with me. Would you please out loud, everyone? A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment, for if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. Now, great wrath there is harsh wrath. The Hebrew word for wrath is translated fury 67 times, wrath 34 times, and poison 6 times. In Deuteronomy 32, it is the poison of serpents and also the poison of dragons. So what is the high cost of the poison of this man or woman's anger? First of all, I want to point out to you that the high cost of anger is the time of others to deal with the angry person's problem. To word it another way, the high cost of anger is the ceaseless occupation of others to deal with your problem, either number one, because you refuse to see it as a problem. That is massive. You have no idea how massive that is. Or secondly, because you refuse to take the necessary steps to truly get victory over the problem. Notice the verse again. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment, for if thou deliver him. This is somebody else coming in and delivering this person from the consequences of his or her anger. And if you do that, then you got to do it again and again and again. It just keeps going. Built into anger or an angry spirit are negative consequences. But those negative consequences don't just fall on the angry person. They also fall on every person around the angry person who loves that person or lives with that person. So what are his wife or her husband and their children and their friends continually, ceaselessly doing? They are continually 
delivering him or her. For if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. And it means again and again and again and again. The Hebrew word for deliver is translated rescue in 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 18. It is translated defended in 2 Samuel 23 verse 12. So the angry man is continually being rescued from the consequences of his anger by those who love him. They are continually defending him or her. Well, I know he has a little problem with anger, but he doesn't really know it. He's such a good man. I'm sure he'd deal with it if he knew it. You know, he's also kind and generous and hardworking, and and he really loves the Lord. He gets angry at the children. And the mother says, Honey, it's it's alright. Your daddy didn't really mean it that way. Then why did he say it? Well, he's just got a lot on him right now. So the people around the angry person are continually delivering him from the consequences of his anger. He yells at the referee in the ball game. And you know when you picture somebody like this, you have to be careful that you choose somebody that doesn't have an anger problem to act it out, alright? He yells at the referee in the ball game and the ref decides it would make it worse if he confronted him, so he delivers him, he lets it go. Do you know, it is so hard to get men to realize you can be intense without being indignant. So many men think that you've got to leave the fruit of the Spirit on the bench before you enter the game. But the Christian should always manifest the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Too many men don't realize that the cost of losing a game is not as high as the high cost of anger itself. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. Read it with me again, would you please? A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. For if thou deliver him, yet thou must do it again. And the Hebrew word for deliver shows up again in 1 Samuel chapter 17, which is the chapter, some child here, tell me what is the chapter, 1 Samuel 17, what's it about, some, some child here, lift your hand and tell me. 1 Samuel 17, any child here know? I'll put the picture up. Now tell me. Yes, sir. The story of David and Goliath. That word deliver shows up there. Here's what happened. David said to Saul that a lion came and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him, smote him, and delivered the lamb out of his mouth. Same word there, deliver. A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. Thou deliver him, thou must do it again. David said, I delivered the lamb out of the lion's mouth. So don't miss this. It's like the angry man is trapped in the lion's mouth of his own anger. And those who love him are continually rescuing him from the consequences of it. But in many cases, he refuses to admit where he is or refuses to truly seek God's deliverance if he does know that he has the problem. A man in the Bible, I believe, could have been called an angry man or a furious man or even a madman was Israel's first king, King Saul. Those around Saul were constantly delivering him from the consequences of his anger. In 1 Samuel 14, Saul would have killed his own son Jonathan simply because Jonathan ate some honey. Saul's men... The soldiers stepped in and stopped their king from killing his own son. Twice in 1 Samuel 18, angry Saul tried to pin David to the wall with a javelin. In chapter 19, he tried to do the same thing again. Also in that chapter, Saul's daughter Michael saved her husband David's life by letting David escape through a window. She also lied to her daddy Saul about David being sick and made it look like David was in bed when he wasn't in bed at all. Michael, the daughter, was just saving her husband David's life, but that's not all she was doing. She was also delivering her daddy Saul from the consequences of his anger. In chapter 20, Saul tried to smite Jonathan his son with a javelin because of his anger at David. That is four times that man tried to pin somebody to the wall with a javelin. In chapter 22, Saul in anger had Dueg kill 85 priests plus men, women, children, and babies. How is this madman king even staying alive? Others 
are continually delivering Him. I remember several years ago now getting a call. We've had this ministry a little over 20 years. And I counseled a pastor whose son was rebellious. And I told the pastor what he needed to do. I said, you need to take a trip with your boy. And just spend time with him and love him and praise him and have a great time together and try to win his heart back. And then the son went to his mother and the mother called me and said, what do I do with this? The son went to his mother and said, Mom, I'm afraid to go and be alone with Dad. What if he blows up while we're gone? It's just the two of us. Do you know what happened? That mother had been a neutralizing force for the father and son's relationship for years. She had delivered her husband, a preacher, over and over and over again. The time finally came when she couldn't deliver him anymore. And that is typically what happens. Eventually, an angry man will reach the point where you just can't deliver him anymore. May I ask you, how much time have others spent dealing with your anger? Do you recognize the problem? Has your anger problem been a part of your life so long that it just seems normal? It is just normal human life to you until you personally recognize it, face it, quit denying it, repent of it, receive God's grace, make yourself accountable to others. People will just keep delivering you until they reach the point most people eventually give up. Wives have delivered their husbands until they lost all their children. We hear about it all the time. And in many cases, there's five, six, seven, eight children and you've got an angry father or an angry mother and they've already lost the first two or three and the domino effect is happening and they're about to lose them all. And then the mothers. After Sometimes after 20 or more years of marriage, tired of her husband's anger, exhausted from so many years of dealing with the consequences of his anger, she bails out of the marriage itself. And a lonely man gets a girlfriend who foolishly thinks that an angry man is better than no man at all. Not so, girls. So what is the high cost of all anger? First of all, the time of others. To deal with the angry person's problem. Secondly, is the loss of the angry person's own testimony. You recognize this verse, Proverbs 22.1? Read it with me, would you please? A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name rather to be chosen than having a lot of riches and loving favor, loving respect better than having a pile of silver and gold. I wonder how many people would continue to get angry if every time they got angry or every time they spoke angry words, they were fined and had to pay $10,000. That's what that stack is. Did you know that your anger is costing you more than that? A good name is rather to be chosen the great riches. is costing you the testimony of a good name. I said earlier I was pastor for 36 and a half years. You wouldn't believe how many times as a pastor I heard things like this. Doesn't so-and-so know that he has a problem with anger? Doesn't so-and-so know that she has an anger problem? And you would not believe how much time I spend as a pastor dealing with people's anger. And I love folks. I figure I'll just be doing it for the rest of my life and it's alright. I'm not doing it now as much as I was. But stop and think about your testimony. There are two specific ways the Bible points out an angry person loses his testimony. First of all, is by the foolish, ridiculous things angry people do. Proverbs 14, 17 comes right out and says it. He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and sometimes those foolish things border honestly on the hilarious. Issaquah, Washington. A man was coaxed out of his home by police after he pulled out a handgun and shot his personal computer four times in the hard drive and once in the monitor. That's the way you repair a computer. Now I want to tell you. In the 1960s, a man with a Chevy Nova, guys, don't drool now, 
was trying to put a new stereo in it. He got frustrated when he couldn't get it to install properly. And he started stabbing the dashboard of his beautiful new Nova with his screwdriver. That really helps. You know that? Well, the best books on anger I've ever read is available as a free download on my website. It's by Larry Darby. It's entitled, Are You Angry? It was a key resource for me as I was studying for this message. And Larry Darby said this, Frustration is like jet rocket fuel for an angry spirit. He also said this, he said, I remember losing my temper at my garden hose. It was a sultry summer day when that perverse piece of plastic challenged me to a duel. I pulled on my end, but it remained ensnared upon a distant tree root. I angrily pulled harder. It became my appointed duty to avenge this act of defiance, lest other garden gadgets become equally rebellious. The hose was never the same after that, neither was my back. Imagine being so foolish to think that I could punish a garden hose. Who did I think was going to pay for a new hose or fix my aching back? You ever break things in your anger? Did it help to solve the problem? Oh yeah, when all those other toilet repair kits learned that I stomped the first one to pieces, they never gave me any more trouble after that. He... That is soon angry, dealeth foolishly. Consider how foolish it was for King Saul to be so angry at David that he tried to get him killed by promising him his daughter to wife if David would kill 100 Philistines for it. Now since when to use your daughter as bait to take care of somebody that you're mad at? And imagine how frustrated Saul was when David killed not 100 but 200 and lived to marry Saul's daughter Michael after all. What a happy wedding that must have been. Can you picture that father who had tried to get this fellow killed and he's giving him his daughter now? Must have been something. You know anybody who's acted foolishly because of their anger? A man with a Chevy Camaro collector car was trying to install a battery. He couldn't get it in right. He threw the battery so it scratched the beautiful hood of the car, smashed in the windshield, and the man who told me about it said, Brother Davis, I walked outside. He said it was my brother. There was the beautiful hood of the Camaro ruin and the battery sitting in the indentation in the windshield. Somebody said, you can't get rid of a bad temper by losing it. Angry people do foolish things. Somebody wrote this story in his autobiography, number one. Billy Martin tells about hunting in Texas with Mickey Mantle, a star athlete. By the way, I thought I was the only one told this story, and I heard this story told by a preacher on the radio on the way up here this afternoon. Only other time I've ever heard anybody tell it. Anyway, Mickey Mantle had a friend who would let them hunt on his Texas ranch. When they reached the ranch, Mickey Mantle told Billy to wait in the car while he checked in with his friend, and Mantle's friend quickly gave him permission to hunt, but asked Mickey if he would do him a favor. He said, Mickey, i got a pet mule in the barn who is going blind. I don't have the heart to put him out of his misery. Mickey, would you shoot my mule for me? When Mickey came back to the car, he had an idea. He thought, I'm going to get some fun out of this. And he pretended to be angry. He scowled. He slammed the door. And he, Billy looked at Mickey and said, what's the matter? And Mickey said, I'm so mad at that guy. He won't let us hunt. You know what? I'm going to go to his barn and shoot one of his mules. Man started driving like a maniac to the barn. Billy Martin protested, we can't do that. Mickey Mantle was adamant. You just watch me, he said. They got to the barn. Mickey Mantle jumped out of the car with his rifle, ran inside and <coughs> shot the mule. And as he was coming out, he heard two more shots. And he ran back to the car. He saw that 
Billy Martin had taken out his rifle too. He looked at Billy and said, Billy, what you doing? Billy looked back, his face red with anger. He said, we'll show that rascal I just killed two of his cows. You see, angry people do foolish things. Two ways an angry person loses his testimony. The foolish things that he does. Secondly, by the mean things that angry people do. A furious man aboundeth in transgression. When the wise men came to Jerusalem seeking the baby that was to be born king of the Jews, Herod told them to come back and report later. And after God in a dream warned them not to, Herod was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof from two years old and unto folks. I don't care what your definition of mean is. That's mean. And you know, when a man does something in anger that is really mean, his testimony may be destroyed forever. Listen to this article from the Boston Herald newspaper. A minister is accused of breaking the jaw of a math teacher who gave his daughter a poor grade in conduct. I always wonder where did she learn her poor conduct? And the teacher tried to walk away from an argument with Dale Robinson, associate minister of the Greater Love Tabernacle. But Robinson chased the teacher, punched him in the head twice. Security officers and other administrators broke up the fight. Balaam's anger at his donkey made him both foolish and mean. God, you remember, was righteously angry at Balaam for going with Balak's men. Remember that God's anger is always righteous. Man's anger is always unrighteous. And I really cover that more in detail in some other messages. In fact, my newest message on the demonic-like nature of anger, I'm going to just throw a portion of that message in right here. Here's what I say in that message. The Holy Spirit will give you control of getting angry. Once you get angry, you lose control. Some people hurt and kill. But everybody who gets angry sins. Anger in people is always a negative thing. Anger in God is never a negative thing. The only time in the Gospels we're clearly told that Jesus used anger was in Mark chapter 3, verse 5. The Pharisees could see that Jesus was about to heal on the Sabbath day a man with a withered hand. And it's interesting, the complete control Jesus had of His anger, He really did nothing with His anger at all. It is simply stated that it was there and the verse says simply that Jesus looked round about on them with anger. He did nothing at all with it. Now, the Greek word there is orge. It is used 36 times in your Bible in the New Testament, but it is never used in relation to any other person in the Bible but Jesus Himself. But that same Greek word does show up in three different verses to tell you and me pointedly to not use anger at all. Look at Ephesians 4.31. Let all, all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. That's the same Greek word. <clears throat> Excuse me, Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. Now you also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication. Every once in a while, I will um, run in, I'll, I'll be somewhere, and somebody, sometimes even a preacher, will come up and say, Well, you know, I, I think just a little bit of anger is all right. Okay? How about a little bit of blasphemy? Will that be all right? No, sir. How about a little bit of filthy communication? I, I got a preacher friend who told me that uh, there was a guy coming to the church there. His, uh, his girlfriend had been saved and was coming to church and she still had this guy for a boyfriend, but he's a real total heathen. And when the preacher said something that the guy didn't like, 
The guy just said, that's a bunch of blankety-blank. Two filthy four-letter words. Right out loud. As loud as you guys are saying me. And this guy said it just right out loud. Is that alright? A little anger is the same thing. How about this verse, James 1.20, the wrath of man, that is the same Greek word orge, the, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now, folks, I don't claim to fully understand what I just shared with you, but here's the simple truth. Jesus could handle anger, you and I cannot. And we better just leave it alone. People also will ask about if he, this verse, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, which actually gives four steps downward into anger bondage or anger addiction. Notice it says, be ye angry. It means be ye angered. It is describing a stirring that happens inside your skull. So, the Greek verb tense is a present passive imperative. Notice that. That is very significant. The passive tense means not that you are acting. It means that you are being acted upon. You're being angered. It is saying that there are coming unexpected bad things you have not planned for. Those things are going to stir in you the emotion of anger. That is not sin. That stirring is God's flashing yellow caution signal. Telling you, you better slow down. And decide to let the Holy Spirit lead your spirit so that you respond with patience and love and kindness and gentleness instead of sinning by getting angry. Now, if you don't heed the caution of the stirring and calm your heart, then you wind up sinning. And I go into lots more detail about that in that other message about the demonic-like nature of anger. Now, I'm talking about Balaam and the donkey and how God was righteously angry at Balaam for going with Balak's men. So, um, Balaam was greedy and covetous. And on the way, the Lord sent an angel with a drawn sword, and Balaam's donkey saw the angel, refused to move forward while Balaam was urging her forward. Then the donkey banged Balaam's leg up against the bank of the enclosed path. When Balaam tried to push the donkey to keep going, the donkey sat down on Balaam's leg and a man with an anger problem and a donkey sits down on his leg. Mm-mm-mm. Balaam started hitting the donkey, screaming at the donkey, and the Lord opened the mouth of the ass. And she said unto Balaam, What have I now done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? Balaam is so angry. He doesn't realize he's probably the only man in all of history to be talking to a talking, talking donkey. This was not Mr. Ed the talking horse. Y'all remember him? This was Miss Ned the talking donkey. I mean, there, there really was such a creature. You didn't know that, but there was. Now, listen to Balaam as he tries to justify himself to Miss Ned. Non-repentant, angry people are always justifying themselves, defending what they do. Their justifications are often more childish than the children that they try to justify themselves to. In this case, you could say that Balaam is more of a stubborn donkey than his donkey. And Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would have a sword in my hand, for now would I kill. <laughs> Typical angry person. Ready to kill somebody or some animal because of his own faults. And it's almost like there's a bit of a childish whine there. Miss Ned, you mocked me. You made fun of me as your master. How about this when I'm your dad or I'm your mom and you made fun of me? Now, I'm not justifying disrespect on the part of children ever. 
But you know, it's very difficult to respect and follow a disobedient, angry authority figure. And the ass said unto Balaam, Am not I thine ass? But which I was written ever since I was down into this day where I ever want to do so unto thee. And he said, Nay. <laughs> then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And he did what you would do. He bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. By the way, y'all remember the story, don't you? But do you remember the very first thing that came out of the mouth of the angel when he spoke? Here it is. Wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times? Why did you hit that donkey? Do you know there are going to be Christians standing in the awesome presence of their Creator at the judgment seat of Christ, and the Lord is going to be saying to them, Why did you hit that child? You see what's in that man's hand? That is not a proper tool to correct or chasten a child. The Bible word is never whip. It is never belt. It is never board. It is never the back of your hand. Don't ever grab a child. Don't ever hit a child. Don't ever shake a child. Don't ever use a belt on a child. The Bible says a whip is for the horse's back, not for the child's back. No. The Word is always, check it out, it is always, it is always rod. It is a little thin rod that if you use it on a child when they're real little, the child don't even hardly feel it. But, somebody asked me last, I did a question and answer session on uh, in Ohio this weekend. I was asked a question. And uh, it dawned on me what the answer was to that question. They asked the question, when, how do you know when to start spanking a child? And I said, when you can tell that that child knows what he's supposed to do and he is defying you, that's the time to spank that child. And I said, that little boy may still be in a diaper. And you know what? When you use that rod, when you take time and explain to him what he did wrong, and you use that rod on his diaper, he won't hardly even feel it, and it doesn't matter. It's like the Creator God Himself built it into human life. When he hears that come on his little backside, he don't have to feel it. All he has to do is hear it. Oh, oh! It's like God is the one who said the rod is the thing he used. It's a little thin limb. Sometimes it'll leave just a little bit of a mark on somebody, but it doesn't even have to. It'll work if you work it. And... Um, now, folks talk about standing in the corner. I, this is from a different sermon where I deal with parenting. But standing in the corner is fine. Here's what you need to realize. Standing in the corner is a harsher form of correction than a little thin rod. Ask any man in any prison in the state of Illinois, would he rather instead of five years standing in the corner, that's what they're doing. Would he rather had somebody give him five or fifteen or twenty-five or even fifty with that rod? I'll tell you, he would have taken the rod. The standing in the corner is a harsher form of correction. Anyway, I got I got to get back to my sermon here. Y'all got me off there. All right, <clears throat> they're gonna be Christians standing in the presence of their Creator at the judgment seat of Christ, and the Lord's gonna be saying, "Why did you hit that child? Why did you scream at your wife? Why did you holler at that employee, that coworker, that referee, that coach? 
And the angel told Balaam, check out what the angel said to Balaam. Next, Balaam, if it hadn't been for your donkey doing what she did, I was going to kill you. And I was going to let your donkey live. You better be glad your donkey did what she did. A man gave us this testimony. He said, I came from a line of violent tempers when I was in sixth grade. That's 12 years old. Some guys wouldn't let a friend of mine on the playground. I got mad when I got done. Seven guys were in the hospital. Two were out of school for a year. When I walked off the playground, I didn't even know what I had done. I'm talking about how angry people do mean things. He said, I couldn't control my anger, but eventually God took it away. What is the high cost of anger? The time of others to deal with the angry person's problem. Continually delivering him your own testimony by the foolish things you do, by the mean things you do. Third, the high cost of anger is the loss of your treasure. What am I talking about? Anger's cost many people their earthly financial treasure. How many men do you know who've gotten in trouble on their jobs or lost their jobs because some fit of anger? Do you recognize this guy's face? Any sports sports guys here? Ron Artest. American pro basketball player. I won't tell the whole story. But on November the 19th, 2004, he got into a brawl on a game. And... uh, Two days later, the NBA announced that he would be suspended for the remainder of the season, 73 games in playoffs, the longest non-drug or betting-related suspension in NBA history. He lost $7 million because of the suspension. Then you know what's interesting? He has changed his name. He is no longer Ron Artest. His name is... World peace. Honest. With a guy like this wanting world peace, surely we're going to have it. Mark Twain said, Anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. But the greatest treasures you lose because of anger may not be earthly treasures. You may lose eternal treasures. You may lose some specific, some specific blessing of God that you could have had, but... You miss it because of your anger. Let me illustrate it for you. You remember Naaman the leper who almost didn't get healed because of his anger. You remember the story? He's the captain of the army of Syria, but he was a leper. And a little maid from Israel's servant in his house told him about Elisha, the prophet of God over in Israel. So Naaman went in his chair to the house of Elisha in Israel. You remember what happened? Elisha did not come out. Three big sins of men are anger, lust, and pride. I have messages on all three of those. It is anger and lust that get us in problems. It's pride that keeps us from getting out. You know why I believe Elisha did not come out? Because God was going to humble Naaman first before He gave him His grace. Did you know if you're easily offended, like Naaman got offended in this, he almost didn't get healed. And his anger now kicks in. And uh, what happened was Elisha sent word to him to go wash seven times in the Jordan River. He'd be cured. And Naaman was wroth and went away. He left because he expected Elisha to just come out and touch him and heal him. And he said, Are not a banner and far part, rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel, may I wash in them and be clean. So he turned and went away in a rage. Then his servants reasoned with him. They said, Mr. Naaman, Mr. Captain, if Elisha asked you to do something really hard, you would have done it. You're a leper. All he asked you to do was wash seven times in the Jordan River. Okay. I get it. He did. The leprosy was healed. Would you think about that? You know, I wonder what phenomenal blessings people have missed out on because of their anger. Maybe this person would have had a chance to teach or preach or an opportunity to be a deacon or a pastor. Maybe he would have gotten a promotion or a raise. Maybe he would have had some great opportunity and he loses it because 
of His anger. Perhaps the biggest loss of all in relation to treasure is not earthly treasure or earthly opportunity. Probably the biggest loss of all is the loss of relationships because of anger. Only God knows how many thousands, if not millions of marriages have been destroyed because of anger. It is the plague on our society. By the way, do you know why we haven't solved it? Do you know why it's getting worse? Not only outside our churches, but inside our churches. you know why? It's because in the church, we say the same thing in here that the psychologist and the psychiatrist say out there. And it doesn't work. Here's what we say. You know, a little bit of anger is probably alright, but you've got to manage that thing. You've got to control that thing. You can't let it, get it, let it get out of control. Same thing the psychologist psychiatrist said. Identical. And it doesn't work. Until you recognize that all anger is a sin. And confess the sin of anger. And get God's forgiveness and ask God to give you victory over it, you won't get victory over it. It won't happen. Because what will happen is, the angry man will say, well, alright, it was justified. I, I, I processed it. I decided before I got angry. Yep, i got a right to get angry right now. I'm going to. And the door is wide open. Now, only God knows how many children's lives have been lost from God to the world because of the Christian parents saying, anger is the number one reason Christian parents in Bible-believing Baptist churches lose their kids. Let me explain something right here. Um, statistics have come out in recent, just in the last two or three, four years. They've done studies. And they're saying that in, quote, evangelical churches... Across the board, that 80 to 85% of the young people in those churches are walking away from the faith and never coming back. Now, there's two words that describe that and tell why that's so. And those two words are public school. And I'm not mad at anybody, I'm just telling you a fact. You're not going to come to church and hear that God's the Creator three hours a week and go to a public school for 30 hours a week and hear that we evolved and that we're animals and that, uh, there's, no, that there's no morals to be left in the world. That all, You're not going to go 30 hours a week and not lose young people. It's not going to happen. Now, among more conservative churches like this church, where, now, now the anger does play a factor in the other as well, by the way. It, it is a factor because all across the board, almost all the evangelical churches still excuse the anger and say it's alright. Um, <clears throat> I've been advertising primarily with Independent Baptist. I've got two full-page ads coming out of the Sword of the Lord. Uh, in the month of November... Advertising my anger series, and then next year I'm going to start advertising to the whole group I chinder. I've been trying to reach independent Baptists, I've been focusing on them for several years. They're my group, that's what I am. But I'm going to start advertising more more widely. But anyway, um, the reason we lose our kids when we homeschool them or Christian school them and try to protect them. And by the way, there's no second class Christians here tonight. Everybody's welcome here. I'm just telling you some truth, alright? Take what you can swallow. If you can't swallow it, it's alright. You're still loved. And um, the reason we lose our children is because of the anger in one or both of the parents. We violate that command right there. It's a negative command. You don't violate a negative command. You violate a negative command like this. There's only a little handful of negative commands in the Bible in relation to the family. You violate any of them and you destroy the family. One negative command to husbands. One negative command to wives in the Bible. One negative command in relation to getting to the marriage altar. If you play the dating game, you'll break that command. One negative command in relation to parenting and it's repeated not once, but twice 
in Ephesians and Colossians. Provoke not your children to anger. Provoke not your children to wrath. There's nothing that provokes to anger like anger. There's nothing that provokes to wrath like wrath. When you get angry at your children, you birth anger in them. Anger is catching. Anger is contagious. They learn to be angry. It is a curse that passes down the generations. They learn to be angry from their parents. Uh, what's the verse that says... Um, uh, uh, with an angry man, with, with a wrathful man, thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways. You learn it. It is a learned behavior that is passed down the generations. It is easily learned because of our carnal nature. And uh, that learned behavior, then the children learn it. And you, when the, when the parent gets angry at the child, the child automatically gets angry back at the parent, but what the anger, what the parent, parent does is they intensify the anger. When they intensify the anger and say, don't you dare look at me like that, then the child backs down, as they think. Child didn't back down. Child got more angry as well. He just took it off the outside, turned it inside, and anger is more deadly on the inside than it is on the outside. It turns into bitterness. Then it explodes as rebellion about age 15 or 16 and they lose their children. And that's all it takes. You, don't have, you have everything else in your home right. You get angry with your children. You lose your children. Read this with me. Will you please everybody? If you have a marriage problem and an anger problem, if you don't correct the anger problem, then you can't correct the marriage problem. Study that picture, would you please? It's very carefully chosen. Notice the face of the woman. Notice the face of the man. Are they going to solve their marriage problems? Mm-mm. Not until they solve the anger problem, they won't. And they probably won't solve the anger problem. Read it with me, please. If you have a parenting problem and an anger problem, if you don't correct the anger problem, then you can't correct the parenting problem. This guy's obviously got a rebellious teenage girl on his hands. But look, look, look at her. And look at him. Is he, can he really deal with her rebellion? No. In fact, you know what he could do? Watch me. He could send her off to a home for girls. Like Heps of a House, Anchor Home, Roll Off Homes. You know what? While she's there, she'll change. Because they don't deal with them in anger. And when she comes back home and he hasn't changed, she's done for the rest of her life. And it's much easier, much easier to deal with her rebellion than it is his anger. She's only been a rebel for three, four years. He's had an anger problem for over 20 years. It is a part of the very fabric of his whole being. It has become a part of him. Um, listen to this story. A missionary told me about a 90... This, this story has a twist at the end that you don't expect. 90-year-old lady in a Baptist church with five children, 25 grandchildren, 55 great-grandchildren, 64 great-great-grandchildren. She sends birthday cards and a gospel tract to all of them. Plus, she sends it to everybody in her church and all of their missionaries at her own expense every year. Boy, that's good, isn't it? He said, Brother Davis, I know her and none of her children won't have anything to do with God or her because of her sharp, angry tongue. Wow. A lady wrote us this. She said, I've been having a spirit of anger. I had a major blow up last December causing my daughter to leave home. Then she gave me another chance and I blew up again and she left home for good. I'm bursting in tears. I don't know what to do. I've tried everything the book says to do. Help me. Now, I don't know what book she's talking about, but she hasn't tried everything this book says to do. Because if you do everything this book says to do, you can deal with this. You really can. This is such a serious issue. I was in Arkansas a year and a half ago. 
And I explained how that anger becomes a part of the fabric of the soul. And to simply say, God, forgive me of my anger is like a drug addict saying, God, forgive me for taking drugs. Uh, like an alcoholic saying, God, forgive me for uh, drinking alcohol. Now, they might get victory. They really might. But it usually takes a longer application of the truths and principles of the Word of God for somebody to get victory in those areas. And it is the same thing with anger. If somebody recognizes, and that would be huge, if somebody recognizes tonight that you've got an anger problem, that's wonderful. You probably won't get victory unless you do something like this. This is what I recommended. Uh, I was in Arkansas. I had a whole group of couples there. And uh, I said, if you recognize you've got an anger problem, get the anger series. Get the whole series. Put it on your calendar. Every Monday night or every Friday night, 7 o'clock, our family, the whole family is going to sit down and watch one of the anger messages together. And I said, what will happen is over a period of time, the water of the Word of God will wash the anger out of your life and out of the family's life. And this medical doctor, his whole testimony, you can go to our website and you can read his whole testimony, but he told me more than, than what's on the website. He said, Brother Davis... He said, I thought, well, maybe I, we, we got a little bit of anger in our home. He said, after three or four weeks, I realized, man, this is a huge problem and I didn't know it. And he said, after we went all the way through the whole anger series twice, he said there was peace in our, in our home. He said, I couldn't believe what God did in our home. And then he said, we stopped. And it's like the anger started creeping back in. He said, now we watch one DVD a month. And it keeps the anger from creeping back into the home. Now, I want to give you an acrostic here of the word angry. I suggest you write this down and hold on to it. Letter A is admit the problem. Do you know what? This only happens, my guess is it happens about 5% of the time that it needs to happen. And do you know if somebody here tonight with an anger problem, if you don't do this, nothing else is going to happen. It, it, again, it's like an alcoholic who won't admit he's got a problem. It's like a drug addict who won't admit he's got the problem. The letter N. Never quit till you truly have victory. I've seen people who admit they had the problem try to deal with it, but gave it up. It was so much a part of their life that they didn't feel like they were ever going to get victory. And I would ask you this. If it cost you $10,000 every time you got angry, would you would you give up? Your good name is worth more than that. Give your mate and children corrective privilege. Let your children, tell your children you want them to come to you and say, Mom, are you angry? Or give them permission to say, Dad, I think you're whispering in your ear, Dad, I think you're getting angry. And promise them, that when they do that, you will thank them on the spot, turn, walk away, calm yourself, come back, and deal with whatever the problem is. The letter R, repent without reserve. Now I'm going to illustrate that in a moment. But let me say right here, if there's somebody tonight who's lost, you need to get saved. Most important thing is to repent of whatever's keeping you from trusting Jesus as your Savior. Turn your life over to Him. He gives brand new life to those who trust Him as Savior. Admit the problem. Never quit till you truly have victory. Give your mate and children correct your Repent without reserve. Yield to the power of the Holy Spirit consciously three times a day. You remember what David said? Evening and morning and noon will I pray and cry aloud. And take the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Galatians 5. Post it somewhere in your home and use it as a reminder to you that to ask yourself, am I manifesting the fruit of the Spirit on a regular basis? I was, uh, I'm going to skip a story here. I was sitting at the table with one of my best friends, Brother Larry Brown. Uh, a lot of people in this room know Brother Larry, don't you? Let me see your hands. How I many? Yeah, y'all know Brother Larry. And he's such a good friend. Y'all remember when his wife, Diane, died? Was that two or three years ago? He's married to one, remarried now, doing great with his new wife, Rhonda, just uh, uh, going well. But I was at the table. Two hours after he buried his wife, Diane. They'd had a wonderful 37-year marriage. He was telling me how his father had a terrible problem with his temper and it had passed down to Larry. And I was surprised. I've never seen Brother Larry. He's an intense preacher, but he's not an angry preacher. 
Never seen him get upset. I've, I've stayed in his home. I've, I've been in his church. I've never seen him have a problem with anger. He said to me, Diane and I had been married a year and a half. We're in the car coming home from Des Moines, Iowa. And I wondered out loud if I had missed the Interstate 80 exit ramp. And Diane said, yep, you missed it about ten minutes ago. He said, I looked over her and said, you mean you know I missed it and you didn't say anything? He said, or she said, you're the boss. He said, Brother Davis, I felt the anger start rising in my ankles. Come up my leg, just keep coming up, but I didn't say anything. I turned around, went back, got on the right road. By five miles down the road, I pulled over, stopped pointing my finger in my wife's face and said, woman, don't you ever do that again. And a bunch of other things I wish I had never said. He said, when I pulled out and started driving away, Diane was really crying and God smote my heart and said to me, Larry, you'll never amount to anything for me till you get your temper under control. He apologized to his wife. And he said, Brother Davis, by God's grace, 37 years of marriage, my wife never ever saw the angry temper again. And my children, what's he got? Eight kids? They're all grown, doing well now, and uh, serving the Lord. And he said, my children never ever heard me raise my voice in anger. He said, oh, Brother Davis, it's still in me. I still have to pray about it, but it never comes out. You see, we've all got that old fallen carnal nature that could come back at any time. But there really is such a thing as getting victory over anger or an angry spirit. A man great wrath shall suffer punishment. I've had to say to some people, you know, you're going to have to stop delivering him. The next time he or she gets in trouble, you just have to let it happen. If thou deliver him... Yet thou must do it again. And there's that man I began the message with. Raised with a father with a violent temper. He got saved but didn't deal with his anger. Then his wife left him. Then they got divorced. He said it wasn't until I'd been saved about six years I was divorced and asked God, what's wrong? Why isn't this working out for me? My pastor gave me a tape on anger. A cassette. (laughs) I don't remember much of the message, but that day God changed my life. That man said if I got mad once a month, blow up, yell, scream, my family walk around our home 29 days afraid of setting me off. You see, living next door to an angry person is like living next to a volcano that who knows when it is going to erupt. But watch me. That volcano under the surface has lava flow that is continually stirring and moving and the people around that person sense the moving and stirring of that lava flow all the time until occasionally it blows up. And an angry person thinks that if he doesn't blow up, he's doing all right. Or if I blow up once every month or two, I'm doing fine. But you're not doing fine. He said, the Holy Spirit reminded me of the way it was in my home as a boy. The fear my father cast on my whole home. God broke my heart and I realized I've been doing the same thing to my family. And that day I set my children down and asked them to forgive me. We cried. We prayed together. I called my ex-wife at her house. Explained to her what God had shown me. And asked her to forgive me and told her I was sorry. She said she knew the problem a long time ago. About two years later, my wife called me up and said, I want to come home. And I said, come on. And I never forgot when she walked in the door, she looked at me and she said, I'm not the same woman that left. And I looked at her and said, I'm not the same man that left. And he said, we just celebrated our 20 year anniversary. Hard to believe. A person can be so blind and not see something so clear, even though it's right in front of our faces. He's walking around for years with angry man, mad man, Furious man. Wrathful man. It was right on his forehead. Other people saw it. He didn't see it. When he finally saw it, admitted it, asked God for His help, God gave him victory. And I want to tell you, God will give you victory when you read it with me, please. Admit the problem. Never quit till you truly have victory. Give your mate and children corrective privilege. Repent without reserve. Yield to the power of the Holy Spirit consciously three times a day. Would you bow with me please?